According to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. And the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere, and teach the way of God in accordance with truth, and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us, then, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And they said to them, he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They said, The emperor's. He said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and give to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated, and the children may come forward for a children's sermon. We're going to go to the regular sermon. The second sermon, whatever you want to call it. All right. In the name of Jesus, amen. I am grateful to be a part of a community that flexes so well. Very grateful. Why do you ask that question? In seminary, and for those of you who don't know, seminary is a place that focuses on the development of theological leaders in our community, some pastors, some deacons, some called into various vocations uh, within the church, but others uh, for the sake of scholarship. Seminary is a place that focuses on those things. When I was in seminary to become a pastor, studying to become a pastor, I had a confessions, a Lutheran confessions professor named Dr. Timothy Wengert. And Dr. Timothy Wengert loved answering questions in small groups. If you raise your hand during a lecture, it had better be for exercise because he wasn't going to call on you. <laughs> but in small group time, and we had some time every week to do that, he would simply sit back in his chair at the head of the table and let you ask whatever question you had to ask, provided that it was somehow related to the readings that we were going through. And you could ask just about anything. I remember asking when I read part of the Lutheran Confessions, well, it says here that Christians actually don't have a freedom of the will, we have a bondage of the will. And that reflects what we say in that confession, that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, we are truly bound to the thing that we don't want to be, and we don't want to be forever. What is that? What does that mean? And every time, every time, I asked, or anybody else asked a question, he'd lean back in his chair, and already knowing what he's going to say, and already know what's going to happen, he'd ask a second question. Why do you ask that question? And out of my mouth, surprisingly, and out of everyone's mouth, would just come spilling a ton of backstory 
well, I know such and such a person that I remember hearing this, and I always thought that, but the book's saying this, and I don't really understand it, and I don't really want to believe it, and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And it was almost like a mini therapy slash confessional time. Because most of the time, the questions that we ask are only tangentially related to the thing we want to talk about. Why do you ask that question? And so for here, in our lesson today, while we do have already the backstory of what the leaders and the Herodians are trying to do with Jesus and this question, it's also a pretty decent question. And so we unpack it using the precedent of Dr. Wenger. Why are they asking this question to Jesus? Why are they asking the question of, is it lawful to pay tax to the emperor? They want to control Jesus. This question is a question in an attempt to control Jesus. We already know they don't like him. They don't like what he's teaching. They don't like what he's doing. They don't like how it's affecting the people around them. They don't like the movement that's being created because of Jesus. They don't like it. And so this question, at its core, seeks to control Jesus somehow. You see, the tax that they were talking about was a really unpopular poll tax, most likely, at the time. And whenever something's unpopular, whether it's that day or this day, a lot of times, everything is used to make do of it. People use faith, people use logic, people use anything. So this, this poll tax, really unpopular with the Jewish people at the time, who were under Roman control and occupation, this was the tax being questioned. I imagine they just simply sought, at the very least, to corner Jesus in that answer. If you say that it's lawful to pay the tax, then they can say, well, you go against your own Jewish people. You don't even think about what God's laws would be. You're not doing the thing that you were called to be as a Jew. But if he say it, says that it is, it is indeed unlawful to pay this tax, they can say, well, he's an insurrectionist, and he's going against the emperor. And he's going to get us in a whole lot more trouble than we're already in. Either way, they can try to create a space where Jesus is causing trouble and causing trouble publicly. Jesus takes it to a different place, though. Jesus takes this to a place not about whether or not we're going to try to fight the Roman authority that's there, and not about whether or not we're going to try to fight the authority that's around us. Jesus takes us to a point of identity. They pick up a piece of metal, or whatever it was at the time, stamped on it, and held value according to the secular state. And he says, give to the emperor what is the emperor's, and to give to God what is God's. Now, growing up, I heard give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And even though the translation isn't quite exact, I really like the Caesar part. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. You can look at it and see who owns it. You can look at your money today and see who printed it. 
You can look at your checks and see who writes them. You can look at everything in your life. You can flip over the back of your shirt and see who made it. But there is one thing that God is concerned with, and that's you. Because the only God that has claim to you is our God. The only God that's claimed you in baptism as sons and daughters is our God. In this font, and written on your foreheads, sealed with the cross of Christ and marked by the Holy Spirit with ever, God claims you. Give the medal, give the dollars, give the paper, give the clothing, whatever. You belong to God. And with it come the metal you claim and the papers you claim and the clothing you claim, but this is about you. This is about who's in authority in our lives. It's a wonderful gift. We are, first and foremost, Christians. We are first and foremost in our identity claimed by God. Nothing precedes it. From the most personal to the most global. Nothing precedes that calling. First and foremost, you are Christians. You are sons and daughters of God. You are not first citizens of the earth. You are first Christians. You are not first citizens of the U.S. You are first Christians. You are not first Pennsylvanians. At the first service, I almost said Ohioans, which there would have been great revolt at that. (laughs) But you're not first either one. You're first Christians. You're not first citizens of Biglerville or Orangeville or anything else. You're first Christians. You're not first Seberts. And you're not first votes. And you're not first anybody else. You're first Christians. Every story that will be told to you in this world of who you should be and how you should act, if it lines up with the will of God, great. And if not, there it goes. You are first and foremost Christian. And there is great freedom in that. You know who you are to be. And you know that the only one that can lay rightful claim to you sends you out into the world, not because you're perfect, but because grace will cover all. And so you can go with free and clean conscience to do your best imitation of Christ wherever you go, in whatever you're doing, and however you are. Free, absolutely free, knowing that God's grace will cover whatever you mistake, whatever you mess up. You are free to be Christians. You are free to be like Christ. Now, for some of us, this can be unsettling. And the actual reality of this, this can be a source of tension. When it comes up between the laws of this town or this state or this nation and what I'm to do, What should I do? Now, it's always my sincere hope that the two don't collide. 
but sometimes they feel like they do. In the 1500s, Martin Luther was written to by a variety of soldiers. And at that time, soldiers weren't in some kind of cohesive unit. They were more controlled by individuals who had the ability and power to hire them. And so these soldiers would write to Luther and say, I don't know if I am supposed to fight in this particular affair. I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm supposed to be a part of this particular war. And Luther would write back pretty similar things every time. If you can look at this particular conflict and say that it is just, or even if you can look at this particular conflict and say, I don't know, but I'm being told to do this by those in authority, then do your job to the best of your ability. But if you look at this and it doesn't look like it's in line with the laws of God, with the gospel of Christ, with the calling of your baptismal life, then you are first and foremost beholden to your God and you do not act. This can weigh heavily. But this is our first and only orientation. You're Christians. At your core. So, pay attention to what you're being called to do, my God. Pay attention to what you're being called to do in Christ. Pay attention to the opportunities before you to be imitators of Christ. And let everything else I agree or fall by the wayside. You are Christians. Nothing else. Thanks be to God for that free and clear 